0: All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather this way, and we pray, Lord, you'll help us as we study the confession. In Christ's name, amen. So we're back in the confession. I was thinking about once more talking about a talk I'm working on, and I thought, well, now we ought to get back to the confession. You know, it's been a while since we've been away from that. And uh, so I've got four different talks I've been working on, and uh, the one I was working on this week is for the men's con- or the Fatherhood conference. Maybe I'll give you that one next Sunday or maybe I'll just just reserve it for those paying attendees <laughs> anyway um, so confession uh, the chapter we're in is 19. If you it's been so long you might have kind of lost a sense of where we where we are, but we're looking at God's law so The uh, title of this chapter is The Law of God, and we're in uh, Article 4, if I remember correctly. So um, here's how that article reads. To them also, as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now, further than the general equity thereof. May require now. We did talk about this a bit, but just to summarize it, um, when we think about the mosaic law, you can categorize it. You can break it down into different components. Um, Some of the some of the laws deal directly with the sacrificial system, which of course is fulfilled in Christ and is abrogated because uh, to continue it would in some would imply that Christ's sacrifice wasn't sufficient, or that the the, the uh, ceremonial laws weren't pointing to Christ. But since he fulfilled those, we don't continue uh, to uh, follow those laws. He's the fulfillment of those laws. Now, other laws uh, are jur- juridical in character and have to do with the civil order. And those laws uh, pertain to some things that we don't actually practice anymore. For example, slavery. So uh, what... We can take though from those laws uh, has to do with general equity. In other words, the notion that there is a kind of balancing that we can we can uh, sort of uh, practice. You've seen uh, the statue of justice with her scales, right, and blindfold, and all of that. That's what, what is being uh, referred to when we talk about general equity. So. Uh, then the, th- the other category is the moral law, which is what we're going to get into next. But I wondered if you had any questions about Article 4 before we get to Article 5. Okay, well, let's take a look at Article 5 then. So the, article, the fifth article uh, here, the moral law doth forever bind all. Okay, so that obviously uh, is stating that it's still uh, in effect. The moral law is still in effect. As well as justify persons as others to the obedience thereof. This, of course, is addressing some of the antinomian convictions that people have that uh, because the law is fulfilled in Christ, then we can just kind of live any way we please. And this is stating that that's not the case. Um, And that, not only in regard to the matter contained in it, but also in respect. Uh, of the authority of God, the Creator who gave it, uh, neither doth Christ in the Gospel any way dissolve, but much uh, strengthen its obligation. So this again, this is att- intended to address uh, the the necessity of uh, all people to follow the moral law. So the moral law can can we summarize that? What would be a way to address that or summarize it?
1: Yeah, so, uh, the Ten Commandments diluted down to "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor." Sorry. Right.
0: So the fulfillment of the moral law is the law of love directed toward God and neighbor. But then you need to spell it out a bit. Have you ever noticed that when you leave people a little room to sort of wiggle, they'll do it? <laughs> so you know the, the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, really get at the specifics of what it means to love God and love your neighbor. Providing some prohibitions uh, and with those prohibitions, as so long as you 're staying within the boundaries, there is a lot of freedom still there's a lot of freedom to to um, you know live your life and so forth, but there are these boundaries that we we observe um, now one of the things I like to reflect on a little bit i 'm actually going to get into this in the sermon today because this, because uh, the fortieth psalm addresses this, and that is um, how we regard the law. So I think some folks think of the law as kind of a tax on fun. You know, there's a sort of like, okay, you, you know, as long as you do these things, then, you know, everything is hunky-dory, and then you can kind of go live any old way you please. Um, but is that really a, 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 an appropriate way to think about the law? Uh, is, or is there another approach? So when we think of the term Torah, the, the, the word uh, that is often translated as law can also be translated as teaching. So there's a heuristic c- character to the law. Heuristic uh, is, a, is a term that's used for uh, a practice which kind of teaches you some- something. Uh, you kind of learn by doing. Uh, you learn some things about life. So like a, you know, what would be an example of a, he- a heuristic? Well, I think um, when we... Uh, looking for evidence of someone's honesty, uh, then we can say that certain practices uh, give us some insight into that. And then it's, it's, it's sort of like this. Uh, think about maybe another way to put it. Um, how do you teach courage? Well, by doing courageous things. So how, you know, it kind of gets you into this weird loop. <laughs> so you teach courage by doing courageous things. What would be an example of, of something courageous in character? that would be heuristic. Like maybe jumping off of a diving board. Maybe that's a small scale thing, but you're afraid, right? You're initially you're afraid to to do that. But then when you do it, the very practice is what teaches you courage. You say, Oh wow. Then you're getting up out of the water if you survive. (laughs) And you say, Wow, that wasn't so bad. And then you learn something in the in the in the practice of uh, doing a courageous thing. And this would be on a small scale, but it, it can kind of uh, uh, scale up. If you get my drift. Any any thoughts about that? Uh, so anyways, the, what what we're looking for in the law... I'm sorry. Oh, Steve.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you were asking for an example. I'm yeah. Risking your own safety to protect others.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, that... Some, some, some people can act spontaneously and without thought uh, and do the right thing. Some people act spontaneously and without thought and do the wrong thing. <laughs> but knowing, knowing uh, you know, how to do the right thing sometimes requires practice. And so if you're going to you know, act in a way that protects other people, then you know, it, it's helpful to have done some things that prepare you for that. Yeah, Christopher. Another example, firefighters on 9-11
3: yeah. hadn't seen anything like that,
0: right.
4: but had made a practice
0: of doing the right things. thing. Right, it's time to climb those stairs. you know, um, And that's why we honor them, because it was a heroic deed. But it wasn't the first time they'd ever done anything heroic. Other thoughts? So the, the observance of the law is uh, something that can actually inform our characters and make us uh, people who are capable of things that we might not be capable of otherwise. That's kind of what, what I'm getting at. So make wise the simple. That's one of the things that we see uh, you know, noted about the law in the 19th Psalm. One of the reasons why we praise the law is because it makes wise the simple. And I've, I've talked a little bit about that. One of the things about making wise the simple is sometimes people... Uh, just because they, they do what the law commands uh, are, may, they might not be able to fully appreciate just how it makes them wise, but just their action is wise, you get my drift, because it's the right thing to do. That's basically what Forrest Gump was all about, you know, if you remember Forrest Gump, he was a very simple-minded person, not terribly bright in terms of school learning, but his, you know, the, the the statement over and over again in the film is, you know, stupid is as stupid does. All these really smart, educated people keep doing stupid things. <laughs> and the only person who's doing the smart thing is the dumb guy, Forrest. He just keeps doing the right thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think uh, another thing here is there's a, you know, uh, they, make, they make a note that we, we obey the law, because it has positive practical consequences, and that's what's being referred to in that uh, clause, not only in regard to the matter contained in it, so in other words, not killing, and so forth, but also in respect to the authority of God. We obey the law not only because it's um, just practically a good thing to do, but because we respect the lawgiver, the creator who gave us the law. And... um, now, here's an interesting thing. That last clause, he says, uh, neither doth Christ in the gospel uh, any way dissolve, but much strengthen its obligation. How do, we, how do we make sense of that? If we say that Christ has fulfilled the law uh, for us, how does that strengthen our obligation um, to follow it? Any thoughts? How does Christ strengthen our obligation? I think uh, a couple of ways to approach it would be to say that he's uh, the way. Um, we endeavor to walk as he walked, live as he lived. Uh, so there's, an, there's a, a sense in which uh, because we are his people, we live the way he lived. So there's a way that it's, it's strengthened. Um, there's also gratitude. Uh, there's the motivation that we have to demonstrate our, our, our gratitude and a way to do that is by doing what, we're, what the law requires. So I think that's, those are a couple of examples of the way that our, our obligation is strengthened. Okay, let's move on to article up, oh, Steve. Steve:
2: Well, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that talk about the idea that, well, you know, all these religions are all the same. They all kind of tell you the same thing. You know, you need to be, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't do it, steal, you should do all these kinds of things. And I think here may be a reference to, maybe even in an apologetical sense, that uh, Christ actually is very particular. It's very exclusivistic, our, our, our faith is. And so I think in that sense, you know, we would in fact have maybe be uh, a greater accountability specifically to,
0: yeah, so if we think about, you know, in your first statement, uh, the things that people around the world agree on, this uh, is often uh, presented as evidence for a natural law. That, In other words, there's a sense in which creation is set up in such a way that anybody who reflects on it honestly knows that there are certain things you don't do, right? Uh, but... Uh, when it comes to salvation it's very particular in the sense that the revelation of God's mercy is through Christ and through his work in history and so we have to hear the gospel and believe in Christ so there's a sense in which through you know our redemption we have an extra sense of obligation that other people don't recognize because they don't believe in Christ. Is this also referring to the idea that Jesus helped the ante? Like, there's pharisaical obligation, yeah. but Christ just said, you know, right. pull that up and... Like, yeah. the, right, you yeah, on the Mount. Yeah, unless you, your, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Yeah. So, now, there have been a couple of ways that people have tried to, t- try to um, interpret that. One is uh, to sort of break our pride... So if, if those guys can't do it, what hope have I got? <laughs> you know. But I also think that there is a sense in which, um, because of what Christ has done for us, the ante is upped. In other words, well, you think about, is it, uh, I think it's Luke 12, chapter 12, he who is forgiven much loves much. So you familiar with that? So the Lord asks... Uh, I think it was was a Pharisee. I think it's at the occasion of uh, Mary anointing him. I think it was the occasion, if I remember correctly. And then uh, the um, Pharisee is like, if this man knew, you know, if this man were truly a prophet, he knew that this this is a sinful woman. Um, And then Jesus, knowing what he's thinking, says uh, there was once a man (laughs) who, uh, you know, I think of this, the way the story goes, some, one man was forgiven a small debt, another man was forgiven a, a great debt, and then Jesus asks who loves him more, the, the one who you know, has forgiven, who, which one of these people. He says, well, the one who's been forgiven more. And then Jesus says he's been forgiven much, loves much. Which is not necessarily, uh, it shouldn't necessarily imply that we can say, well, I've, didn't serve a whole lot, and so I guess that means I don't have to love much. <laughs> I think that Jesus is not using it that way. is <laughs> more or less implying um, you, you shouldn't think too highly of yourself. I think that's what he's getting at. Anyway, um, let's take a look now at the next article. Although true believers be not under the law as a covenant of works... Uh, "...to be thereby justified or condemned, yet it is of great use to them, as well as to others, in that, as a rule of life informing them of the will of God and their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly, discovering also the sinful pollutions of their nature, hearts, and lives." So as examining themselves thereby, they may come to further conviction of humiliation for and hatred against sin, together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Let's stop there because that's a long article. Um, But there are two things that are uh, noted here already. And the one is that Believers, even though they are under grace, still uh, look to the law in order to, to understand the will of God and so uh, thereby fulfill their duty to, to obey God. So it's a, it's, an, it's a way that we have of having some insight into God's character and what's expected of us in terms of our character. I think that's... That follows. But uh, it also brings to light uh, what? Uh, the sinful pollutions that still remain in our nature's hearts and lives. So uh, here, here's a thought. I, I've used this illustration before. It puts me in a bad light, but it was simply true. When I was in college, I didn't want to learn anything new at the job I, I worked at because I had no interest in being a banker. I worked at State Street Bank of Boston, which is a big corporate bank, and uh, in the first like a few months, I I mastered my my job and could do it really fast, and you know, I could just come in, shoo, get right through it. But I had zero interest in like a, you know sort of taking on more responsibility, <laughs> if you get my drift. Now I think some people approach the Christian life in the same spirit. There's there's a sense in which well I don't want to examine my my sinful ways, and grow in grace. Um, I just want to get into heaven. That's, that's all I'm in this for. Uh, so what's the incentive? So what do you say to a person like that? What's the incentive to continue uh, to examine yourself, sort of digging into the corruptions of your own heart and life? Why would, you, why would you want to do that? Yep, David.
1: Well, if somebody said that to me, you know, as their friend, I would say if if that's a practice that continues, I I personally would be um, sobered with the idea that maybe I'm not so close to Christ as I think. And I'm wondering how I would be because clearly the Spirit of God tells us in His Word that He draws us to Him. And if that's our goal is to be like him, and we find ourselves not wanting that, there's going to be a problem eventually down the road.
0: Yeah, so those conditions, those ifs, uh, demonstrate that there's something spiritually amiss. And I think that's absolutely right, you know, that, you know, why is it that you want to just sort of continue to sit in your cesspool, so to speak, um, I guess what I'm getting at here, and you're, you're on to it, but I, when I guess what I'm getting at is, is you, you really don't, I think if, you, if you're unwilling to go into these matters with yourself, it could happen for a couple of reasons. One is, is that it's just too hard to deal with. You know, That could be an, an example of a reason why somebody would recoil from that. But the other thing is is you might not have a real, a genuine uh, understanding of the joy of holiness in other words, if you think of holiness again as sort of like um, some crimped and um, miserable thing, then you know why why would you pursue it? But if you think of holiness as the joy and life of God, and these are the things that are keeping me from knowing that joy in that life, well then you got a, a real like positive motivation to deal with it. No, you can say, I don't want to disappoint the Lord. Sure, that's, that's significant. I'm not trying to downplay that. But I guess I'm trying to look at the other side of the, the coin. Or here's another way of putting it. I may, I may have mentioned that uh, in my last church, I did a, a series on the Ten Commandments, and I used a, a spoon to illustrate the nature of the commandments. There's a convex side and a converse side, one that's intended to, like, uh, you know, you, you use to sort of keep things away. You know, so the rounded side you can't pick anything up with, right? That's the negative character of the law. So in other words, it's that part of the laws that's intended to keep things out of your system. <laughs> right? But then there's the other side, which is the cupped side, which is what you use to feed yourself, and which is, you know, the positive side of the law. So every law implies a positive side, right? So and that's what love the Lord your God Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the positive side of the law. The other side of the law is don't steal from your neighbor. <laughs> don't you know, uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's the, not, that's the negative side. So every, every negative in, infers or implies a positive. And the command to love is the positive side. And that the, the other is the other. so So... Um, Obviously, we want to please the Lord. If we love Him, that's that's part of it. But there's a joy in loving, isn't there? There's a there's a joy that is to be known in the very relationship that we have with God. So even uh, when we're loving, it's not like it's just. Well, that really drains me. I've been loving God all day. I need a break. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh man, this loving God business is just such a drag. Now, there's, there ought to be a, a sense of like, no, this is, this is uh, the fulfillment of my life. This is what I've been made for. This is what uh, gets me up in the morning. You, you get my drift. Um, yeah, David.
1: Uh, every testimony I've heard. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you want? Go ahead. Well, real quick, every testimony I've heard from somebody um, that was new in the faith, they didn't want to leave that that essence of being involved in that moment. Right. And I think that's what you're getting at. But obviously, we lose that whether if we are married in our honeymoon and our first relationship with people or our first endeavors and whatever we want. There's always that honeymoon experience, but I think it's... I think it's an idea that we need to hold on to, that that's actually where we can go.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's good. And, of course, in a mature relationship, you know, the emotions aren't supercharged anymore, but there's still a joy in the relationship. Yes, Steve? But earlier, you ask
2: what would asked about what would be the incentive for pressing on that, and... Uh, and um, Sermon on the mount, our Lord said, uh, Blessed are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yeah. And um, you know, a lot of us are older, we know that we're going to see him a lot sooner than he, <laughs> the other guy here. Right. And so there is that desire that really to prepare, because that's where we're going to go. <clears throat> we're all going there you know, by his grace. And so there is an incentive to really work at, in a sense, like pressing up forward and yeah. uh, making sure that you're
0: this is one of the things I want to get into the sermon a little bit, because in you know, our tradition, there's a strong stress on uh, the fact that no matter how much we grow in grace in this life, there's still some uh, abiding sin, some residue of sin, some things that we're going to have to deal with. Um, so the motivation to continue at this uh, does, is not undermined by that. It shouldn't be, because it's not as though uh, as you're growing in grace, uh, you're dealing necessarily with the same sins your entire life. Hopefully, you've moved on to more subtle and <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah. I
3: think, well, that's probably what Jesus was getting at when he was talking about love and obedience. Yeah. I mean, you, they're intertwined. Right. Because um, love without obedience is just lip service.
1: Right.
3: And Christians are not supposed to be giving God lip service. Right. You know? So there is... Then you can go to James about faith and works, yeah. and so you can tie them, tie them together. So just piggybacking on what yeah. you're saying. Yeah,
0: yeah I think, uh, our, you know, the proper frame of mind uh, should uh, keep us at the task of uh, examining ourselves, trying to address uh, those matters that we need to address, um, and, I, and I do think that as you grow in grace, uh, the sins that you're wrestling with grow more, I guess, subtle, And uh, your capacity, maybe for self-deception, has to be confronted more and more. Like when you're initially converted, at least it was, you know, so with my situation, and I imagine uh, I'm not unique. There were just like a lot of obvious things that had to go. (laughs) Just a lot of obvious things that had to go. And with those obvious things, you know, I I didn't say, well, I'm going to gradually say no to those things. No, I just said no to those things right away and got a lot of them out of my life. Now there were certain things that continued to be an ongoing struggle to to, to address. I'm not uh, trying to imply that that wasn't the case, but there were there were other things that I could make it, I just made a clean break with. So I'm not going to deal with that. But as I've grown uh, in my understanding of myself, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned is uh, that there were. It's kind of like an onion. You know, if you, you, know, you think about the layers, you know, there are a lot of layers uh, to a person. Uh, and, you know, you keep uncovering things, and it just makes you cry. <laughs> wow, that really stinks. <laughs> I didn't realize that that's what I was up to. Wow. And sometimes people will actually, you know, be uh, the one who confronts you, Right. Um, did I ever tell you about my time with Norman at the at the Kansas City Rescue Mission? Oh, here's one I didn't tell you. <laughs> it's one of the problems, you know. You hang out with people after a little while, and you say, oh, "Man, I must have told him that five times." Anyway, so I was uh, I was a young preacher, and uh, I was working at the Kansas City Rescue Mission, just old-fashioned rescue mission. So, if you're familiar with how the the old-fashioned rescue missions worked, is basically, uh, you know, you had a mission in a in a seedy part of town, kind of a skid row area, a lot of guys living on the street. It's almost always guys, like 99% guys. And, um, you know, every evening the doors open up, guys are invited in, offered a shower, you know, a meal, a bed. The only one thing they're required to subject themselves to, the sermon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they'd come in and before they got anything else they'd be subjected to a sermon so I you know I'm on staff and so that means on a regular you know, basis I'm preaching to these guys and it's usually about you know 50 guys and uh, they're all half intoxicated you know and stuff like that and uh, I remember one night I was really on really on my game you know these guys were on the edge of the seat. They were laughing when I wanted them to laugh and crying when I wanted them to cry. I did the altar call at the end and had them all raise their hands like, yeah. And I was like, yes. And they had like 30 hands. I was, came away from the experience. And said, that was a great night. I was, I'm, really, I'm really good at this. Anyways, this guy named Norman, he came up to me. And we knew I'm greeting guys afterwards. And he was, he was re- remarkable because he was covered with like Jesus bumper stickers and buttons. But he was sloshed. <laughs> so he's like, you know, I found it, Jesus first, Jesus is the way hat, you know, all this kind of stuff, and totally sloshed. <laughs> and he says to me, I want to talk to you about that sermon. But first, I'm going to get something to eat. And then so, he, so I, I'm like, okay, I've got to sit around and wait for this guy to, you know, have his meal and everything. He comes back. He's a little more sober at the end of the time. He must have maybe five cups of coffee or something like that. And we sit down, and he says, I want you to know, I hated that sermon. I was like, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, you're proud." <laughs> and in that moment, I thought, "He's right." And so I said, uh, and by this time we knew each other's names. <laughs> I said, "Norman, would you pray for me?" And he did. Lord, help this young preacher boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those moments, you know. <laughs> it was a humiliating experience, but it was good for me. <laughs> it was one of those, you know, you know, uh, vel- you know what was the uh, aqua velva moments? You know, slap, slap. <laughs> Thanks, I needed that. <laughs> but that, those things can happen in your life. And at those moments, those revelatory moments, here's, here's another one. <laughs> I used that as an illustration in a sermon. And a guy sent me a note. You're still proud. <laughs> I kept the note. <laughs> so that's actually one of the things that I've done over the years. All the hate letters I've got, I've kept. Every once in a while, I'll go back and review them. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for you. Let you know, have yeah, I really dealt with that? You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. Um, perhaps I've
5: said this before, but what... What role do you think in all of this obedience, self reflection, self-determination? What what role do you think remembrance
1: or remembrance?
5: Remembrance plays. Because the all Hebrews yeah. the Hebrews from the time they were three years old with, amongst themselves they talked about these stories of what God had done for them. Right. So I'm not saying that God is a vending machine where you can remember this thing and put your money in. This is what you did for me. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Give, give, give. But a loving father has sure. delivered you out of so much. Does that, does that incite obedience? Does gratefulness incite obedience? What's the equation?
0: Yeah, yeah well, I think, I think what you wanted, what you want is to be in the love of God. And you can kind of think of it as sort of like a zone. Uh, when being in Christ. You know, that's what, so, because Christ of Christ's obedience, um, Christ uh, is glorified, right? Christ um, is raised, all these things. And when we're in Christ, we enjoy all of these things that we don't deserve because we're in Christ. Now, we have a relationship with God through Christ. It's not as though we're just a number or something like that. I don't mean to imply that. But I think... But I think that's where we want to be spiritually. And um, no sin uh, has a future in the presence of God. Sin has got to go. Um, what we're looking forward to is the day of glorification when we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. Getting back to Steve's earlier comment, the vision which transforms, that's what we're looking for. So the ultimate, the ultimate joy is to be like God, to be uh, the image of God restored. And God is glorified. Uh, I think it was Irenaeus who said, uh, the glory of God is a man fully alive. So the idea is that God's glory uh, is uh, on display in his saints. In other words, we're glorified and we're on Display. You know, we're radiant because of what's been done for us. But sin, of course, is something which obscures, which is uh, shameful, which is dark in character. Uh, it's a pollution. These things have to go. Uh, over the course of our lives, hopefully, uh, we are growing in grace and seeing sin mortified. Um, but we're also realists, and we know that that won't be finished in this life. It will require the final work of glorification to to do that. Yeah, David.
3: In uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to test?
1: Mm.
3: We, call, we have to examine ourselves. And yeah. the law shows us what it is that we need to examine. Right, so the law
0: uh, is like a mirror. All right, we're told that in James. Um, The person who hears the law and doesn't do it is like a person who sees himself and then forgets what he looks like. So that's kind of getting at the same idea. But I I think the the notion is is that when we we see ourselves in the light of the law, we see how far we are from the thing that we're called to, but we also see God. But hopefully, over the course of our lives, as we grow in grace, the resemblance grows in the in
4: the time. Any other yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, come. I was just this phrase um, at the beginning, uh, we're not justified by works, yet it is of great use to them, believers, as well as to others, kind of caught my eye. Yeah. It it makes sense to, um, if, if others, even if they're not believers, are living by the same law, it accrues to the benefit of a society uh, Oh, yeah. As a whole, yeah, that's the whole Salt Lake thing. Even so, though you know, I have a, a Jewish friend who who reminds me every week of the things he did over the weekend that were quote the right thing to do. Oh, so exactly. But for him, it's it's to the benefit he thinks of getting to heaven. Okay. But the consequence of it is good things happen to people yeah. that are in his sphere of influence. Yeah,
0: yeah. And this is and This is a this is really great thing to think about, Tom, because on the one hand, when we think about, say, the unregenerate doing good things, it's not like we want to discourage that. <laughs> you know, we don't want to say, well, you might as well not even try, <laughs> because uh, it's not going to save you. There's still something to be said for doing the right thing, even though you're not doing it for the right reason. You know, The right thing is still a good thing, telling the truth. Like one of my best lawyers, I've had a number of lawyers over the years, but one of the guys I trusted the most, I disagreed with about politics, uh, religion, (laughs) but he was really an honest man. He would not cheat, he would not put up with cheaters. You know, he was just straight as an arrow, and he was a great lawyer. Last time I saw him, uh, We were were in an office, and I was—I can't remember what we were talking about. He said this was during the 2016 election. He said, said, "I got to get up to New Hampshire." We were down in Connecticut. I said, "Why?" He said, "I got to vote. Got to vote." I said, said, "Who are you voting for?" Trump. He said, "I said you're voting for Trump." And then he let me know that he wanted Trump to win because he thought he'd be destroyed in the election. (laughs) So he was actually voting for Trump because he thought there was no way he could possibly win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there were a lot of people who were doing that kind of thing, by the way. There were a lot of people who voted for Bernie for the same reason. Uh, there were people who went the other way. Conservative, I know one. He was the editor of the American Conservative magazine. He voted for Bernie so that Bernie would win because <laughs> he didn't think Bernie could possibly be elected president. Anyway, I, I, I don't know why I got into that. But, but, but uh, this, this lawyer, lawyer's name is Steve Ford. And, uh, but I mean, I trusted him when it came to matters related to law. Um, So examining themselves, that they may come to further conviction. Okay, uh, let's go on to the next uh, part of this. It is likewise of use to the regenerate to restrain their corruptions in that it forbids sin, and the threatenings of it serve to show what even their sins deserve and what afflictions in this life they may expect from them although freed from the curse thereof, threatened in the law. So this idea that obeying the law has a, uh, you know, it's beneficial, is uh, reflected in this part of the, of the statement too, uh, because even though, you know, we uh, enjoy uh, God's grace and the promise of eternal life, when you do uh, wicked things, even though it may not mean eternal damnation, it can mean a lot of personal suffering for yourself and other people in this life, and for that reason alone, you know we ought to avoid sin. Right. So if you, uh, you know, let, let, let's go back to the illustration I I gave of um, Jim McKenzie, Jim the painter from Trinidad who lived with us. Uh, Was he a believer? Yeah. Was he uh, struggling with sin and failing a lot? Yeah. But every time he, you know, uh, repented, he was just, it was a genuine remorse. Now, you know, you can't put up with certain things. (laughs) You can't put up with people stealing from you, right? Even though you love the person, you say, you know what, until you get this taken care of, you can't work at this place. Until you get this taken care of, you can't live in this house. We can't live with this kind of insanity, with this sort of thing. I know you're, you're remorseful, but there's just a the practical matter of, you stole the church offering. <laughs> we can't have people stealing the church offering every week. You know, I, We know you feel bad. We know you promised to pay it back. We don't even know how much it was. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, you know so uh, you know'm you see what I 'm getting at uh, there are just realities of what it means to live in a community of people in this world. you just can't have lying you can 't have stealing you can 't have people committing violent acts against other people it's just you can 't put up with that kind of stuff there has to be some limits
3: but those are the outward kind of Outward surface of the cup, kind of sins that everyone sees, and we can point at them. But it's the inward cup; it's the one that the Holy Spirit sees. We oh, sure. Can deal with the most.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. But you know, when it comes to, so there are lots of people. Uh, well, we all struggle with inner the, the corruption of our hearts. Um, it kind of gets down to the, you know, what sins uh, are less. Tolerated. So, for example, if you were to come to me and say, "I can steal your candy, your candy bar, or I can shoot you in the head," which is worse? And you can say, "Well, both keep you from eternal life." Well, okay, fine. <laughs> but there are some human uh, kind of implications here. You know, take the candy bar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm getting at. Uh, so, in, t- in terms of like how we live in this world and how we deal with just you know wickedness, eternal life is not the only measure certainly of the most important, but it's not the only one. Yeah, Mark.
3: Just kind of going along those lines and looking at um, common trends in our large cities where you have these district attorneys who are releasing people despite what the law says, um, and that law of God largely reflective in, in American jurisprudence you've got people who are murdering or stealing or doing all sorts of different crimes and they just keep going back out on the street and in that sense it's it's teaching that individual and the entire society that there is no justice Yeah. versus actually when justice is served the kingdom of God is coming to earth yeah. in that case and people actually see and understand the future that they're going toward, yeah. rather than what's really being proclaimed to them is there really is no right or wrong.
0: You know? Yeah, well, Marlon and I were just talking about this. I guess uh, REI just closed their big store in Portland. I don't know if you heard that this week. in the Pearl District that shut down because of crime, because of thefts. They, they just can't afford to keep losing that kind of money. So let me just play this out, David. So you got a number of stores that are closing. You know, we've lost the WalMarts in Portland. We've lost. You know, there's just a number of these different things. So, what's it at, I think at the core of this is an unwillingness to deal with human nature as it is. So uh, there's a kind of conf- there's a conflict of, uh, of irreconcilable realities here. Um, and so, until the political class. Um, is willing to accept that their way of looking at human beings was, was wrong, they're not going to deal with the realities. So I, I, I lived through this sort of thing. I remember the crack epidemic in the 90s. I mean, um, I, I saw the, the repercussions of that all around us, um, even in the church, you know, and um, on a personal level with theft and so forth. It was a nutty time. It's sort of like this time. And uh, there were a lot of people who were just in deep denial um, about what needed to be done. And then finally, there came somebody who had this kind of interesting idea, Um, Rudy Giuliani. Let's enforce the laws. (laughs) And it led to the renaissance of urban America. From like 1994-ish to like the year 2016, there was a real... Uh, Renaissance. I remember Times Square back in the early 90s and late 80s. I was there. It was nothing like it is now. It's going back to that. <laughs> if, you, if, you ever, if you've ever watched like, the old films from the 70s, like Death Wish or like, uh, French Connection, it really was that way. I remember walking through Times Square and being propositioned like five or six times. It was that bad. Um, now you know. Well, for a period of time, it got cleaned up. So here's an example of how it works. Uh, the Lambs Club was a, a kind of a mission in Times Square uh, that uh, the Church of the Nazarene ran, and it was essentially just a place like I just described a little while ago, the Kansas City Rescue Mission, and it was it was almost like they got it almost for nothing. Back in the 70s, because nobody wanted to live in the city in the 70s. Um, This idea that you'd be living in the city, you know, and walk down to the coffee shop and get a, you know, cappuccino or whatever, you know, just nobody thought those terms in those days. What you you thought about is like being killed. (laughs) And so uh, they got the Lamps Club for virtually nothing. Uh, in the early 2000s, a friend of mine named John Bowen sold the air rights over the Lambs Club the air rights for 100 million dollars. It's now the home of the most expensive hotel in New York. And the Lambs Club, the first floor, the part that they renovated, is a five-star restaurant. Marl and I have been there a few times. But what was the difference? Well, the law. Remember the you know broken windows policing philosophy? The notion was uh, that uh, when people believe that they're, they're in a chaotic environment, they're going to do what makes sense. They're not going to stick around. They're going to leave. So what you want to do is you want to send the message that we live in an orderly environment. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure the place isn't a mess. So just clean it up. And it was just like boom, overnight. Anyway, David, I catch you.
1: Oh, it fits right in with what you said, and what Mark said. is said um, bringing in the kingdom of God with the gospel, it, it automatically means enforcing law, or even before that, making law. And of course, when we deviate from God's word, we make hundreds of thousands of laws But to the degree that we create law that enforces the moral law and that enforces it, you really are bringing in the kingdom of God. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I think, you know, we're not talking about the kingdom in in its final form, but we're talking about the kind of order and and fruitfulness that... Other thoughts on any of that? Next uh, sentence, the promises of it in like manner show them God's approbation of obedience and what blessings they may expect upon the performance thereof. I'm going to tell something about my wife and I here. My wife uh, and I disagreed about whether or not kids should get rewards for doing the right thing when they were small. My wife was the Kantian. She was like, they should just do it because it's right. I was like, well, how about a cookie? (laughs) <laughs> kind of help kids understand that you know this was a good thing to do. Now, the good news is there are kids who move beyond cookies. <laughs> but you, you, you kind of get what I'm getting at, you know, there's, you know, the idea is that if we give them a reward, then they're not doing it for the right reason, right? Well, maybe initially the motives aren't entirely perfect, right? But the the fact that the room has been cleaned up is a good thing or the you know, grandma was told Thank you, and that was a good thing. You know. Anyways, my, my, I'm having a little fun here with my wife. <laughs> yeah, Tom. So
4: I had a little episode yesterday that sort of, sort of, uh, on an adult level, yeah. operated that way. At least the way I'm interpreting it. So, I went to get uh, tires for an old car that didn't deserve new tires, <laughs> and I paid for them online because I knew I could figure it out once I got there. I get there, I tell the guy. I think a couple of these tires might be salvageable. He agreed. He puts notes on the order that, hey, just just needs two, this is what you need to do. Thirty minutes later, I go to get my car and the guy said, we didn't see the notes until after we'd installed four new tires. I already had the refund for the two and the guy um, said, you just got four new tires for the cost of two. And. I had, earlier in the day, kind of had an opportunity with that car to respond in a negative manner. (laughs) And I had it. And so I viewed that as, okay, that was right or wrong, that was a reward from God for acting out of character in accordance with how God would want me to act.
0: Well, that's great. (laughs) It's a fun story, too. I'm glad. So what was it about this... Uh, evil car that wanted to be destroyed.
4: <laughs> uh, I opened the trunk and it had a gallon of antifreeze that had spilled in the back. Oh, Yeah, gotcha, and, gotcha. and some other sort of environmentally. Kind of <laughs> Plus, it's a car that went from a father of one of my daughters-in-law. And I couldn't help but think he'd gotten rid of that car like 10 years ago, and now I was responsible. <laughs> <to eat it. laughs>
1: understand, understand. <laughs> All right. Um,
0: now, uh, it goes on to say um, although not as, uh, as due to them by the law of, as a covenant of works. Again, this is getting back to the distinction between eternal life and just the goods that we can enjoy in this world when we do things in the right way. Uh, So as a man's doing good and refraining from evil, because the law encourages the one and deterreth the other, is no evidence of his being under the law and not under grace. So in other words, the writers of the confession are really wanting to make sure that we don't misunderstand what it means to be under grace. They don't want us to think that this is a license like James Bond had, you know, a license to kill or do whatever we want. Um, well, we still are constrained by the law, even though uh, we have the promise of eternal life because we've believed in Christ. And, they, and this isn't inconsistent. This is actually very consistent. Any last thoughts on that before we wrap up? We're getting about that time.
3: Yeah, I think, I think this helps you better understand why David says, I love your law. Mm. You know, it, it, God's love is shown to us. God's yeah. given the law, and, and it's for our benefit, for right. the benefit of others, as Tom was saying. Right. Right. You know, people look at the law always from the other side of the spoon. Yeah. They right. miss the other. Right. The, the, what do you call it? Concave. Yeah, yeah. yeah convex
0: and the concave. Yeah, yeah. You, we we tend to think that we're starving to death because we only have this spoon up the certain way. I can't hold anything in it this way. <laughs> yeah.
5: I was just a thought just occurred to me when Times Square was cleaned up and everything. So what we don't realize necessarily is when the laws are enforced, when a society is cleaned up. You can let your daughters walk that street. Oh yeah. You can. There are so many benefits to enforcing law for everybody. Right. The streets don't stink anymore when when you know the right. the you're not being accosted. You're you're even reaping the benefits with prices and you know, it's like a no duh. No duh. So
0: but- but it's amazing how, how much duh there is in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let me be a congressman. Yeah, you know, I guess you know the, the the thought that maybe is an encouragement, but also a discouraging thing. Is just you know, light, You know, the world has a way of kind of uh, reality has a way of correcting these things over time. But uh, it's it's remarkable how um, long it takes. You know, you think about the children of Israel in the wilderness, you know, the fact that they had seen the wonderful works of God, they'd seen his deliverance, and yet couldn't believe that God was going to give them victory entering into the land. And so God's like, okay, uh, we'll just have to let you die off. Took a while. <laughs> and then... The kids are like ready to. Okay, we've been waiting. Let's go. That doesn't mean that they were perfect either. You know, they had their problems. But I think you know what I'm getting at.
3: Yeah. Is that last part of the uh, verse, chapter six, like James 2:18, where show you my faith by my works? We don't have to do it, but it says we are to do it. Well, let's let's
0: think about it this way. So uh, Abraham, when he was known as Abram, and Genesis chapter twelve verses one through three is given a promise, but it has a condition: you have to leave. In other words, he's promised a land, but he can't inherit the land unless he leaves the land he's in. So there's a there's a side to of faith. So he's the father of faith, right? He's our, our father in the faith. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he just kind of sat around. And I think Luther is the one who said, you know, when you pray from chicken. Uh, You don't sit there and just open your mouth and expect it to fly in. (laughs) You go out and you go and you look for some, (laughs) that kind of thing. And that's kind of getting at that. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's pray and uh, make uh, a little time for folks to fellowship before the service. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your goodness and thank you for the law. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us a love for it like we see Uh, with David and many of the saints in Scripture. In Christ's name, amen.